You are listening to Yoga and Beyond, Episode 3, Interviews with Yoga, Anatomy, and Healthy Living Experts with me, Ariana Rabinovich. Today, my guest is Brooke Thomas. In her own words, she has been helping bodies become less cranky and more happy for the last 12 years. She is a rolfing practitioner, a yoga tune-up teacher, and a corrective exercise specialist. Her goal is to alleviate physical suffering by empowering people with vital knowledge about their bodies. She does this through her website, fasciafreedomfighters.com, and a new book series that she's calling The Liberated Body Guides. Today we'll talk about Rolfing, fascia, and her new free ebook called Why Fascia Matters. This is a free resource to educate people about what fascia is, how to keep it healthy for total body health. She wrote this book after writing an article about fascia for BreakingMuscle.com. And so many people approached her about that article to learn more, so she decided to expand on it and write this in-depth book on the topic. It's very accessible, and I highly recommend it. It's a great resource for movement professionals, as well as people interested in their own physical health as well. Hi, Brooke. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about fascia today and your free, your awesome free ebook. Um, but before we get into that, um, if we could, I'd like to talk a little bit about you. Uh, you're a rolfer and a yoga tune-up teacher. And I was hoping you could tell us about what you do as a rolfer. Because uh, I think there are a lot of misconceptions. I know I used to have misconceptions about what it was. And maybe touch on what yoga tune-up is as well. Sure. Uh, yeah, I used to joke for a long time that I wanted to keep like a scrapbook of all the craziest things I've ever heard about rolfing. <laughs> because I hear crazy things. The first thing I ever heard about rolfing, and just for the record for everyone listening, this is not even remotely true. <laughs> but somebody told me, oh, rolfing, they dislocate and then relocate every joint in your body. That was the first thing I ever heard about it, which sounded totally unappealing, and yet I wound up doing it anyway after I'd researched what it actually was. But basically, rolfing is a fascial manipulation therapy. So we are manually manipulating the fascia, and we're doing that in a very strategic way. So traditionally, rolfing happens in a 10 series, and that's just a way of us making sure that we're working on all of the lines of support in the body. So the analogy I give people a lot of times is if you picture the Golden Gate Bridge, a suspension bridge, the reason why you want to drive over that is because all of the cables are doing their right job. And if some of those cables are too short and some are too long, that's not a functional bridge anymore. And we're built a lot like suspension bridges, suspension structures on the inside. Uh, well, that simplifies it, obviously, but to give people a visual. Um, and so in Rolfing, we're just trying to make sure that all the cables are doing their right job and it has this reputation for being really intense and really mm -hmm. aggressive and I just think that that's wrong and I think it comes from a history of its early days in the 60s when we didn't know, it was before all this fascial research, what we were doing really as before, my, as before I was born but you know, so I don't mean we but I mean mm -hmm. we are field um, and so there was this kind of go deeper, go deeper which translated for a lot of people into push harder, push harder and these days, now that we're informed about what, how we're actually doing what we're doing, that people aren't a lump of clay, um, that it's, the work has changed and evolved 
a lot. So it certainly shouldn't be energy work where somebody is working with their hands off your body. <laughs> they should be contacting your fascia, which I have no problem with energy work. It's just this is a fascial manipulation mm-hmm. therapy. Um, but you should not. But almost all of my clients walk in really nervous for their first session and walk out going, oh, that, wasn't so that was not great. I don't know why I was that. Oh, that was actually really great. I feel great. I'm like, of course you do. Why would you come and see me if you were going to feel lousy? Yeah. <laughs> I love that analogy of the suspension bridge. I think that's really useful. And I'm a visual person, so that helps me um, visualize us as structures. Um, and Ida Rolf is the – Rolf, I don't know if I say it right. Is it Rolf, Rolf? Rolf. Yeah, Rolf. Dr. Ida Rolf uh, is she, the founder. Yeah, she created this, and whenever I read about her, I realize how ahead of her time she was. Just the fact that she was exclusively or intentionally, consciously working on fascia yeah. at that time. And here yeah, we I are. Still think yeah, she's way ahead of her time yeah. for now, for today's time. And she died in 1979, and I still think that our culture hasn't caught up to her way of seeing. Mm-hmm. And you're also a yoga tune-up teacher. How, I am indeed. Yeah. So how does that relate to fascia? And yeah, how did, yeah. So I, you know, I had by the time I found yoga tune-up, I had been in practice as a rolfer probably for over ten years, and I had always been looking for what could I give people when they go home. You know, what could I give people? Like the goal of rolfing for almost all practitioners, but definitely for me, is that people can get to a place where they can be a better self-healing mechanism and they don't need to see me forever. I'm not interested in fostering dependence at all. And so I was always looking for ways where I could give people more jewels, you know, to take home, where they can work on integrity in their bodies on their own from the inside out. And I had looked into a lot of, um, you know, different things that I had considered sort of adding on where it wasn't just I do the work on you. And when I found Yoga Tune Up, I, I just kind of by chance actually walked into a Yoga Tune Up workshop that Jill Miller, the creator of Yoga Tune Up, was teaching in my town in New Haven, just kind of on a lark, I think. I'm trying to remember back. And it, I just had this, mo- you know, it was one of those moments where I was like, yes, <laughs> this. You know, here is somebody who is really smart about the body and she's created what I want, this set of tools where people can do self-myofascial release with the therapy balls, but they can also do really smart, conscious, corrective exercise to build the integrity that they need from the inside out so that they don't need me forever. So for me, Yoga Tune-Up was like this perfect marriage with rolfing because it was like I could finally teach people how to rolf themselves more effectively, and it was a very happy discovery to walk into Jill's workshop that day. <laughs> That's awesome. How, how have your your clients responded to that, to that input of being able to to do it on, on their own? I think they're delighted. You know, I, I think people, people are always asking me for, well, what can I do myself? You know, what can I do to work on this if I get flared up in between sessions? Or, you know, people have really liked being able to have these tools in their own hands. I think it's really empowering. And I think that anyone on a healing journey, and I usually see people who are dealing with chronic, really chronic pain patterns, they come, there, there comes a point where you just, you want to feel empowered and you mm-hmm. want to feel like you have something you can do for yourself. And they have been very pleased <laughs> to have That's, that. Yeah. I, I, when I teach, I try to think about how I can empower my students too, because I think I often encounter people who seem to be totally disempowered and, and look to 
their teachers and their health professionals and mm. chiropractors to, to fix them. Yeah. And, and I, I, I'd love to see that mentality shift completely. And I think that the work you're doing helps to do that. So awesome. <laughs> I guess. Well, I'm very pleased that it exists, you know, that Jill created it and Dr. Mm-hmm. Rolf created all things. So. Mm-hmm. And I like that you put those two together. Yeah, to uh, me, it's practice. totally a chocolate and peanut butter, you know? <laughs> Don't right. start talking about chocolate and peanut butter. <laughs> Don't go there. We need to take a snack break. Love it. So you're on a mission to end physical suffering, basically. Um, Indeed. Where does that mission come from? So I, um, when I was born, I had a birth injury, a cord strangulation that injured my neck, my upper cervicals, and gave me Bell's palsy. So I... Um, partial paralysis to the right side of my face, and a seizure disorder. So I grew up with, you know, not a ton of doctors in my life, but more than a kid should have. And I, uh, you know, (laughs) there was a parade of neurologists in my childhood. And I grew up with mobility problems and pain, chronic pain, and um, seizures. And, you know, most of this is probably related to this birth injury, you know, as a kid in yoga, uh, sorry, not yoga class, ballet class when I was six years old, where all the other girls are doing their pretty splits. And I mean, I couldn't touch my knees, let alone my toes. And I just felt impossibly gimpy. And so I grew up being really ashamed of my body's inabilities and really resenting the amount of kind of pain that I lugged around. And in my early (laughs) twenties, my body was just done. I hadn't, other than taking neurological medication for my seizures, that was all that had been addressed in my years growing up. And I have a whole other rant, which I'll save for another day about how chronic pain in children gets ignored. Mm. And it makes me crazy. But um, I, in my early 20s, I, I couldn't open my mouth more than, you know, a few millimeters enough to squish a straw in between my teeth. Or if I was feeling ambitious, squish some really soft noodles in between my teeth. I couldn't turn my head to the right. I couldn't bear any weight on my right leg most days just because of how severe the pain was in my sacroiliac joint. So I felt like I was 90, and I was in college. I was in my early 20s. And um, so the first order of business was getting my mouth open because that's really obvious. You need it. (laughs) You need to be able to eat food. And so I saw a jaw specialist, a TMJ specialist, who was wonderful and he was the one who actually said to me after, you know, sending me to PT and doing a bunch of things that had helped really minimally, he said, you have to find some really good body work and you have to learn how to meditate. And I did both of those things. And when he said, you have to find some really good body work, I didn't know what that meant outside of cars. Like I had never, I didn't come from a world where I knew that there was this whole field of holistic care or manual and movement therapies. Um, so I had researched everything and I found Rolfing and I had, you know, long story short, obviously a very profound experience with Rolfing where my body completely changed. And that was the beginning of, you know, to, to go from feeling like you're 90 in a 20 year old's body to, I was actually 22, 23 when I got Rolfed to feel like you're at that age was just mm. shocking. And I had grown up with pain. So it was actually weird <laughs> not, not to, experience not to be pain. In pain. Yeah. So, um, And I just feel like in my life and in my practice, I see so much that so much of the physical suffering that people are dealing with, not all of it, but a massive quantity of it is 
repairable and is avoidable. And it just breaks my heart because I know that physical suffering just shuts down your whole life. So I really want people to, you know, mostly what I do is to try and be an advocate for the spatial medicine field, for all the fields of manual and movement therapy that I just think help people so profoundly, but people just don't know they exist. Mm -hmm. Can we go back and talk about what spatial medicine is? I think that might be something new to some of the listeners out there. Sure. Yeah. Um, So I I believe, I'm not 100% sure on this, but I believe that Tom Myers is actually the person who coined that phrase. Um, But basically we have, you know, physical medicine, which is considered a lot of basically pharmaceutical drugs and surgery, modern medicine. And we have temporal medicine, which is basically therapy dealing with your experience of time, dealing with things that happened in the past or how you feel about the future. And so he took spatial medicine as a way of talking about this wide range of fields, um, which can be broken, you know, called the manual and movement therapy fields. And I'll explain what that means soon, but um, that affect how we operate and function in space. You know, how do I move? How do I feel in my body? How am I addressing the inside structures of my body and how that might be affecting things? And so I just love that because we haven't, you know, it, it just, shows to go you or goes to show you like how little visibility there is when we really haven't come up with a unified term for ourselves. Mm-hmm. The manual therapists are over here and then we all divide amongst ourselves. I'm a rolfer. I'm a PT. I'm an osteopath. I'm a myofascial release person. I'm a trigger point person, you know, and we just divide. And then the movement therapy people do the same thing. You know, we're movement therapists. Oh, but I do Alexander. Oh, but I do Feldenkrais. Oh, but I do. And I think all of these fields are gorgeous and have so much to offer. There are a lot of different paths to helping people be pain-free. And I just come from more of a united we stand kind of perspective where we have to all say we all have something to offer people who are dealing with physical suffering or who just want to enhance their performance. Enhance performance is an annoying phrase, but feel good in their body, feel like as athletes or dancers or humans that they can move around and feel good in their bodies. That's Mm a perfectly valid reason to seek out these fields too. Um, so spatial medicine kind of is this, I think, nice umbrella term to say we all do different stuff. We have different ways of approaching the body, but we all get under this header. Yeah, I, I like that approach. And I think I'm going to start using that phrase, spatial medicine, that term more often, because um, I do I do like to think of it that way. And I like it's part of why I'm doing the, this, this series of podcasts is I want to talk to other people who are in related fields. Mm -hmm. I think think we have a lot to gain from each other. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, Let's talk about fascia some more. Let's let's get in there. Um, (laughs) I, I struggle with how to define it very simply to, Mm -hmm. to people like in my classes. And um, I just find it very hard. So how, how do you define fascia? Uh, in the most like in basic, of, basic way. Yeah. Yeah. Like the ba- in terms of basic nutshell descriptor, uh, a lot of times what I'll say to people, cause again, like I'm big on, I'm a visual person too. I'm big on analogies and mm-hmm. things that can help people grasp what we're actually talking about when we're talking about something that's hard to understand and somewhat esoteric and poorly understood in our culture. Um, and so I'll usually give people just a visual of, you know, how, when you bite into an orange, 
and you've bitten to, into the slice halfway, and then you look at the orange slice that you've now bit in half, and there are all these little pods of juice in there, that's fascia. So <laughs> that's not actually fascia mm-hmm. because it's not a human body. But <laughs> in the human body, that's what we're like too. Our muscles look like that if you dissect a muscle in half. And so without an orange, without the pith, which is the fascia of the orange, it's just juice everywhere. Our bodies are the same way. Without fascia, we're just juice. <laughs> you know, we, mm-hmm. It's the thing that wraps everything. And so the other thing I'll often do is just take people on kind of a, a, a walk around fascia uh, because a lot of times when people hear it, they picture the body stocking under the skin. So I'll say, okay, picture a body stocking under your skin. Now, from there, it dives deep in a million different directions. It wraps every one of your muscles on the outside so that it's creating these boundaries between muscles. But then diving deeper, it actually forms, as with the orange example, the internal architecture of your muscle in this honeycomb-like structure. There are these pods, these fascicles that wrap and create the inside of the muscle. They weave into tendons. Tendons are considered part of fascia to connect muscle to bone. They weave into ligaments. Ligaments connect bone to bone. They sling your organ structures. Your tentorium is a structure that slings you know, your brain from ear to ear. It wraps your bones. It wraps your nerves. It's everywhere. And so sometimes when you kind of take people on that walk into fascia, they can get a better sense of its vast three-dimensionality. Yeah, and it is so vast. Um, I was listening to an interview with Andreo Spina recently, and he was talking about fascia as a connective tissue continuum. Mm-hmm. And I like that, that it's it's never-ending throughout your body. And it, yeah. Yeah, it wraps and interweaves, protects all the things that, that you said. So with that, so it's everywhere, why is it so important for us to know about it? Why is it so important for us to know about it? I mean, it has a lot to do, particularly my interest being, you know, avoiding needless physical suffering. It has a lot to do with chronic pain conditions. It has a lot to do with injuries. Most injuries are fascial. So injury prevention could be attending well to your fascia. Um, and it has a lot to do with how we move, which determines how we age, how we do or don't get injured, you know, so it's, it's a pretty important structure to understand if we want to continue to like be pain-free, be injury-free or as much as we can be and to age well mm-hmm. and move well. And when you say most injuries are fascial, this is something that um, I've, I've read about, but what does that mean? You know, where, can you give an example of Sure. Maybe a couple kinds of fascial injuries. Yeah. Yeah. So we think a lot of times, I mean, we have to kind of define what we mean by injury, right? So a lot of times when people hear the word injury, if you're talking about, I got hit by a truck (laughs) and my, you know, femur was shattered, my thigh bone was shattered. Okay. That's traumatic injury from an event. Most pain and injuries in our culture do not necessarily stem from a single, straightforward, traumatic event. It's more what I call the domino effect, sort of long, slow burn of chronic compensatory patterns and the effect that they have on injuries. So we get out of alignment in our bodies. Our fascia is sort of tugging us in a direction because it thought it was helping us out. 
initially. So if we move in the same pattern all the time, you know, if I always sit at my computer with my computer keyboard on a desk that's way too high and so my shoulders are hunched way up and I do that every day and I do that for 60 hours a week, well, my fascia is going to say, hey, how can I help you out? I can help you out by doing this, making this thing easier that you obviously want to do. I'm going to help you hold your shoulders up. So I'm just going to glue that all up. And also just because I'm not moving, it's laying down additional collagen and elastin fibers. It's basically creating this inside tight sweater that holds me in that position. And so from that position, you now have compromised movement ability of compromised breathing ability. And it's got something's got to give. So if your shoulders are up too high, suddenly your pelvis is going to be clenching. You're going to be drawing up from your feet. So we have these system-wide compensatory patterns. And then if we're going to keep with this journey of the person with the too tight shoulders from the keyboard being too high, you know, maybe this person decides that tennis is their thing this summer. Well, you know, you've really severely limited your range in your shoulder girdle and your fascia has compensated to glue and adhere those structures to one another. So now you're applying force. Well, you know, when you wind up with tennis elbow or torn rotator cuff, it's not especially surprising. Or if you decide to take up running and you wind up with plantar fasciitis, Mm -hmm. like a more distal end of the problem, your feet are trying to help out the fact that, you know, your shoulders want to pull up high. Oftentimes people's feet pull up high. They'll notice that their arches are getting higher. This is just one example of many. I'm not saying this always happens because Mm -hmm. there is a little bit of a snowflake thing with people's pain patterns. Not necessarily that every pattern's totally unique, but I'm just giving examples. Um, so those are typically, you know, this kind of gluing where structures, instead of gliding on one another as they're designed to, have adhered to one another. And then you apply a force or you're just moving around with the two high shoulders for 20 years <laughs> and gravity keeps taking a toll and suddenly it's you're this the hunched old lady with the shoulders up at her ears. You know, these are fascial injuries and this is most of what we see. Mm-hmm. Not the I'm in the ER because I got hit by a truck injury. Those happen, obviously. But it's not the vast majority of the chronic pain stuff that's going on out there and injury stuff. Uh, There's a lot of research underway, and it continues to evolve, about fascia. And um, it eventually trickles down into manual and movement therapies. Um, But can you talk about some of the latest findings that that are coming up? Yeah, I mean, there's so much. So I have to say that I am a, I am Brooke the student of fascia, not Brooke the expert of fascia. You know, I wrote this book, Why Fascia Matters, to build a bridge to the most simple, straightforward kind of concepts about what the current research is showing. And I think you did that very successfully, by the way. Well, thank you. Yeah. So it's basically like a foundational, simple, straightforward language kind of way to say, oh, this is how you know, a manual therapist or a movement therapist sees the body via an understanding of fascia. So that's just my way of saying that I'm not, just because I wrote the ebook, I'm not Brooke the... Fascia expert. Hot shot fascia expert. Yeah. But I do have a love for, for learning about it. So I can talk about what I'm currently kind of fascinated by, <laughs> what I'm currently <laughs> wrestling with in my own mind. Um, And, you know, one of the things I saw Thomas Finley, who is a really bright fascial researcher and started out as a rolfer a long time ago. Um, And I saw him speak about a year and a half ago, and he was talking about some of the kind of newer research that's out. And one thing that caught my attention of his that I haven't looked into 
all that much because I don't think that this information is necessarily out yet, or if it is, I haven't found it. Um, but he was talking about fascial research in, in cancer mm-hmm. and how there's something that happens uh, in the fascia bef- right before cancer metastasizes where there's like this kind of hardening and then the fascia, and then the cancer, cancer metastasizes. There's a hardening so, of the fascia around the, the, um, the cancer that side? There was this basically phenomenon that could be observed pre-metastasizing of the cancer, this phenomenon mm-hmm. in fascia. So mm-hmm. the idea is, well, if we can observe that phenomenon in the fascia right before the cancer metastasizes, and again, I haven't, this is just like what I gleaned from his lecture, mm-hmm. then maybe there's some application to cancer never metastasizing again. You know, who knows if we can understand that there's this basically like fascia gives you this warning signal. This is about to metastasize. So I found that totally fascinating and I really want to dive into that more and and kind of wrestle with that more. And then the other work that I (laughs) just, I find it so fascinating and I just think that I keep having to, push it into my brain like I haven't had the full aha moment on it but I I do write about it in the book is how fascia is a fluid system and um, Gilberto is one of the main researchers who talks about that and he talks about this I love this okay I'm going to try not to trip over my tongue (laughs) multi-microvacuole multi-microvacular collagen dynamic absorption system or MCDAS that is is a mouthful can you say that Uh, again uh, 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 really? You want me to say it again? <laughs> yeah, not not to be just because I my brain hasn't absorbed it. Yeah. So and Zimberto, if you um, look up yeah. his and just his name and fascia and Google will come up with some really good stuff. But it's the multi microvacuolar collagen dynamic absorption system or wow. MCDAS. If you just type in his name and MCDAS, it'll come up too. But it's basically this really fascinating understanding about how does fluid move through fascia and in our bodies and what is this system that he's talking about how does it make create space in the body how is it a support structure that also is fluid and what are the implications on things like edema and obesity and aging and so this to me has been very mind-blowing and it's probably going to be two or three more years before I really understand what he's talking about. But every time I read his research, I'm just amazed and amazed at its implications for health in general of a human, you know, overall health. Yeah. I'm sitting here kind of stunned in silence at the implications of it. Also about what you said about the metastasizing. You're actually breaking up a little bit. Oh, I am? Okay. Yep. Now you're back. Okay, good. Good, good, good. Um, yes, yeah, so I was just stunned at uh, the implications of what you were mentioning. I was just stunned in silence about that. <laughs> I know. Well, I am. Uh, every time I look up his research, I'm like, okay, I'm going to need to. And, and for me, you know, with fascia, like there's so much of this that. So I've been in practice for 13 years now. So I was starting out at the Rolf Institute about 15 years ago. And there are things that I remember us talking about at the Institute when I was back there 15 years ago. And if I'm being totally honest, like there are days when I'm just like, I get tensegrity now mm-hmm. you know, after all these years of working in the field. And I think that a lot of it is because 
we don't understand holism in our culture. Like I think that we think about everything as separate so on such a deep and pervasive level in our culture that it's it's like this veil that we all live under that makes it really hard to understand something that's truly unified or to understand how things are unified. I agree. Yeah. I, I'm interested in tensegrity and I try to read about it and um, I, I don't know if I get it yet, but I, I'm trying to. Um, I've also heard a, a term of bio tensegrity, which I think I, for some reason that that resonates with me, biotensegrity, um, right. when mm-hmm. talking about our, our, our bodies. Um, let's talk about your book some more, Why Fascia Matters. So I think we've covered why it matters. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> how do you know, or let's say, let's go back. How can we take care of our fascia? You have some tips in the book of, of what we can do. Do you want to go into one or two of them here? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think that some of the important things are that we need to move in constantly varied ways and we have to accept the fact, I keep saying cultural stuff, but we have to accept the fact that we live in a culture that makes that, that does not value that and that makes that hard. You know, we sit our butts in chairs, we sit in front of screens, we sit in cars, we don't walk as much. Like I was, Katie Bowman, I love and adore, she's a biomechanist. Me too. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, who doesn't love Katie, right? And <laughs> she was, wrote something, I think it was on her blog, where she said that children these days like my son's generation, they walk an average of 11 minutes a day. Mm. It's horrifying. But I look around, I read that, and I was like, that can't be true. And then I looked around at his life, and I forced him to walk all the time. But I, you know, either volunteer in his classroom or with friends, and I'm like, they don't. Mm. Nobody moves. And so moving in multivaried ways gives you a huge benefit um, on many levels, one of which is your fascia. And then the other thing you can do is to, um, you know, get some good fascial work. So see a, a manual therapist who does fascial work, uh, do a self-care program like the yoga chain-up therapy balls or the melt method, which address the fascia and keep it hydrated, keep it gliding. Um, and of course, I think we should do all of these things. Mm-hmm. And another thing that Thomas Finley mentioned when I saw him speak um, last year was that the there was some research on like how does fascia respond to food because of course everything responds to the food we eat and he was saying that the anti-inflammatory diet eating anti-inflammatory foods is basically the fascial health hmm. diet so i don't think i write about that in the ebook but i i think that it does matter like i'm not a food person mm-hmm. as in i don't profession do that for a profession but um it, it does make a an impact for sure mm-hmm. um I want to go back to movement and quote fitness because mm-hmm. I go I, and it's a little bit on Katie Bowman too, but that, that there's a difference between, you know, sitting at your desk for eight hours and then, and then beating yourself up on a bike for 40 minutes yeah. and, as opposed to movement being a part of your life. Yeah. 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 And I'm actually just about to write an article on my blog on fascia freedom fighters about this. Um, because what I read, so you have to get the preview of this super exciting blog post, but what I read recently in Outside Magazine, there was a study about people who take uh, multivitamins. And it was saying that the more people take multivitamins, the worse they eat. Hmm. 
because it's like there's this subconscious thing in humans where we're like, oh, I'm, I'm good. I can have Cheetos for dinner. I'm taking a multivitamin. And it's not that obvious, but it was, it was really interesting. And I was thinking about how in terms of movement we do that, where it's like, oh, I don't need to think about how I'm moving during the day at all because I'm going to the gym later tonight. So I don't need to think about the fact that I'm spending 9, 10, 12 hours in a chair today because I'm going to go beat the hell out of myself and run real fast later, which actually when you think about it makes no sense. Like, first of all, now you have tissues that are primed to be butt in chair, and then you're doing this very, um, not always, but in this example, violent movement. Mm-hmm. So your tissues aren't primed. So basically, you know, pelvic floor, you're sitting in a chair, your pelvic floor is all slack. And then you don't just load it by getting upright. You also load it explosively, mm-hmm. <laughs> bouncing up and down, pounding on pavement. And so I think that we don't think about, we don't differentiate between movement and exercise. It's one of the things that I just totally adore about Katie Bowman's work is how I think she's bringing, among other things, to the masses this understanding that movement and fitness are not the same thing, and we yeah. can't pretend that we there's an off switch and an on switch. Like off switch during my workday, I don't have to think about movement because this isn't my movement time. And then on switch, I'm at the gym because you're always on, you're always alive, your your body, your physiology is always responding to whatever you're doing in any given moment. So frequency, and this is a Katie thing, is more important, it's not just as more important, it's that it's a completely different thing <laughs> than intensity. And we yeah, think yeah. that if we can do something harder, that it erases all the hours of not moving at all. And it's just weird thinking. It yeah. doesn't make any sense, yeah, when, yeah, when you start to look at it, you, it starts to uh, unravel itself. It's totally warped thinking. I think. And yeah, Katie has helped me think about it differently. I call her a paradigm shifter because of that, because I, I use the term movement now whenever I can instead of fitness Mm -hmm. or or exercise. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, in my life, I just try to mix it up as much as possible. You know, I spend part of my, I mean, part of my work days are doing rolfing practice, but I have like my work week is work week is half in my practice seeing clients and half writing. And so on the writing days, I'm a screen person, right? And I just try to mix it up where it's like I'm spending part of the day sitting on the floor in a multitude of positions and yeah. part of the day standing and taking breaks to go out and go for a walk. And, you know, so just thinking about how do I mix this up since the reality is I need to sit down and type a bunch of words today. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I unfortunately have similar <laughs> issues. I'm at the computer a lot and I have to to, to mix it up. I do little breaks in between. I make myself stop and do various things. Um, yeah. So uh, back to fascia for a second. Um, is there a way for people to know if their fascia is healthy? Like are there qualities that one could look for in their own bodies? Yeah. So there are a few things. Um, one is that your movement becomes less differentiated. So you're going to reach for the can of soup on the top shelf of your cabinet and your arm doesn't just go, all of you goes. (laughs) Your whole torso comes along for the ride. You hike up your hip, you hike up your shoulder. And that is a sign that you are, instead of those, um, that musculature gliding via the fascial sheets, instead of it gliding on each other, they're stuck to each other. And so everyone has to come along for the party. 
so less differentiated movement. Um, I tell people a lot of times that you can hear <laughs> your fascia if it's uh, more contracted. So when you're walking, if your footfalls are really heavy, a lot of times that's because you don't have the natural springiness and glide in your tissue. And so when your foot hits the floor, instead of getting the rebound effect that just like yummy and juicy flows through your fascia, you just get hard foot on floor and you can hear in your tissue and hear the sound of hard impact. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You get the foot clunking. Um, So those are, are two main ways. And then just generally, a lot of times people just feel trapped in their own bodies. So when you start feeling like you're wearing suits of armor and you're, you're playing tug of war with yourself against this suit of armor all the time, you know, and you hear your mom's voice in your head saying, stand up straight. And you try to stand up straight for two minutes. And I could go on a rant about what does that even mean? I won't, but you know, and then you get extremely fatigued and it's because your fascia is pulling you back into the shape that it's decided to make, you know, at some point to help you out, but now it's not serving you anymore. So those are the main things to look for. Let's talk about the juiciness of, of fascia. Sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, when people hear that it needs to be hydrated, they say, oh, I'll just drink more water. Mm-hmm. Does, does that, uh, what do you say about that? Um, yeah, it's actually not about drinking more water. And this is where all of that m- <laughs> microvacuole stuff from Gimberto comes in. Mm-hmm. That's very fascinating because he talks about, how does the fluid actually move through that we basically have these little um, tube tubules in there that, that the water moves through. So basically if you are getting dehydrated fascia, you have this like kink in the hose. So he's talking about these little itty bitty teeny tiny hoses that go through us. Mm -hmm. And when you get a kink in the hose, literally like your garden hose has a kink in the hose you can't, so say you have a, literally a knot tied in your garden hose. If you wanted to get the water out, you have to untie the knot. You don't just go turn the faucet on full throttle <laughs> because the water is not going to come out. It's just going to keep getting more pressure bound up at the, the knot that's been tied into the hose. So what you really need to do to get the fluid out to the tissues is to unbind your fascia. And you do that by the ways that I've already talked about. Move in multivaried ways, get smart tissue work, do self-care work for yourself. Um, and that is what is going to rehydrate the fascia. Otherwise, you're just putting a bunch of water in to the kinked hoses and you're just, your body's just going to pee it out and it's mm-hmm. not going to get to the tissues that are, are being deprived of it. So it's more like thinking about, or I say a lot of times to people, and I swear one day I, I want to make a T-shirt that says this, I say to people a lot of times that what we need to do really is to get better irrigated, mm. not put more water in our bodies. Not hydrated, but irrigated. Hydrated and then irrigated so that the hydration actually gets put to use. I like that. Yeah, get better irrigated. Who doesn't want to be better irrigated? (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about where people can find your ebook. How can listeners find and download it? Because it's for free. It is for free. Um, Yeah, I really just want this information to get out as much as possible. And I had a lot of manual movement therapists get in touch with me about, can I use it with my clients or students? Can I use it in training? So I wanted it to be a resource that people could just use easily in their practices and trainings and stuff. So it, it lives at liberatedbody.com. 
And you can just download it there for free. You have to go through a few steps of like entering your email address and stuff, but then you just get a download link to use it and spread it as much as you want. And um, the Liberated Body Guides will be, it's the beginning of a series of books that I'll be writing, hopefully for the next 30 years. We'll see. (laughs) Hopefully. (laughs) And those will be available on like Amazon and iBooks. There'll be more regular books, whereas this one's a free PDF. But And I like I give you props for the name Liberated Body Series. I think that's awesome. I think it's great. I, well, I'm, thank you. I'm a word nerd, and I, I think it's nice. <laughs> well, I'm glad a word nerd approves. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> so in addition to that website, you have Fascia Freedom Fighters. I do. Yeah, so yeah. that's my blog. That's where, you know, I, I post to the blog every week. And it'll oftentimes be me kind of geeking out on things like I was talking about, about if people take multivitamins and then eat crap, mm-hmm. aren't we doing the same things with, well, I'm going to the gym later, so I'm going to sit in my office chair all day, um, or videos or things like that. But I also interview um, leaders in the field. So we've been nerding out about Katie a lot here and about Jill, Katie Bowman and Jill Miller and Sue Hitzman, who created Melt. So I've interviewed all those people, and I try to um, talk to them because they have a lot of really fascinating and amazing knowledge and viewpoints. So that all lives at Fascia Freedom Fighters. Yeah, in fact, I shared your interview of Sue Hitzman with on on my blog, and I still have students who come up to me and say, "Oh, I listened to that," and they're you know they're really interested. And I I yeah, I'm a big proponent of all three of those ladies: <laughs> Katie you, Bowman, yeah. Sue Hitzman, Jill Miller. I call them the brilliant trifecta. <laughs> they are the brilliant trifecta. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Is there anything else? that you would like to mention any upcoming projects or events? I know you mentioned the books that you'll, that you're, you're working on, you know, 30 for the next 30 years, but is there anything else? (laughs) There's always other things, although they're percolating enough that I'm just going to let them take their own path and we'll see (laughs) how it goes. But I'm, you know, basically always going to be working on ways to create community around the idea that we don't have to suffer in our bodies needlessly, and then also to advocate for the spatial medicine fields. So I'm up to that. And then the only other thing I would just say to people is that it's not hopeless. (laughs) It's never too late. I had a birth injury and I suffered for 22 years and then I got better. So yeah, you're not just better. I mean, you do cartwheels and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I do. And you know, it's like, I, I don't like to, um, we love before and after photos, right? Like, mm-hmm. I was a mess, and now I'm perfect. Oh, perfect. <laughs> like, when I get tired, my face still droops, and I talk with kind of a lisp, and I have jaw stability issues, and there are plenty of days where I just, touching my toes still seems like it's not happening. But I, I'm remarkably better than I was, and that I teach, that I stand up in front of a class and teach yoga tune-up when I used to hide. I used to get doctor's notes endlessly to never have to take gym class because I was just so embarrassed of how little my body could do. So it's always a journey, and it's amazing. Like People get better. I get to watch it all day long for my work life, and it's exciting. <laughs> people with crazier stories than mine get better. Well, thank you so much. It was inspiring and uh and educational to sit here and and talk to you today so thank you so much and for sharing all of those stories and all that information with with our listeners and um just want everyone to know that all of the links and all of the names that brooke mentioned i'll I'll have 
uh, on the site. So you'll be able to find them. So Brooke, thank you so much. And uh, I hope to talk to you again. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. So there you have it. You can find all the links that Brooke mentioned on my website, arianayoga.com slash Brooke Thomas. That's Brooke with an E, Thomas with an H. And if you liked this podcast, I would really appreciate it if you could leave a review for me on iTunes. It's easy to do. All you need to do is go to arianayoga.com slash review, and it will take you to the page where you can launch iTunes and leave a review for me there. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, be well.